Well, I got this uh, book uh, for Christmas. Uh, our oldest son, uh, Tyler and Brittany, gave me this book. And there's a series of books. I, I bought some of the others. And it's right down the line of my reading, my intellectual, uh, I'm going to give away my intellectual uh, desires of what I read. And uh, it's El Arroyo's, El Arroyo's Big Book of Signs. And it's just a big book of pictures of a sign in the front of the restaurant, El Arroyo. It's a Tex-Mex restaurant in Austin. And uh, he's been putting up these, qu these quotes on, the, on the, uh, this marquee out in front. And it's been such a big hit there, and now in three, three books. And so I'm reading them. It's a short read. That's what I like about it. Each page has about three sentences, and you go to the next one. And, and uh, I can read, ha I, read ha I read a book for the first time in about 30 minutes, and uh, it was really good. So let me just give you some of his wisdom as we start talking today about the one another's and how we're going to relate to each other, how we're going to love each other, how we're going to do life together. And there's just some, some nuggets of wisdom here that I thought would be good for you to get in your mind as we start. Here, here's an example. Never laugh at your wife's choices. You're one of them. I'm not insulting you, I'm describing you. <laughs> Let me see, I can't read that one. Um. <laughs> I, I don't use my, I like this one, this is for me. I don't use my blinker because it's nobody's business where I'm going. <laughs> Do people, <laughs> my wife loved this one. Do people who run marathons know they don't have to? <laughs> I've been put on the planet to tell you that. I meant to behave, but there were just too many options. <laughs> so anyway, it's fun poking fun at uh, our craziness sometimes, but uh, that's what we do. So we're in a new series with the one and others. There are 59 of them, depending on what version or paraphrase of the Bible you may have. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't count all the various translations or versions, New, new Living or the Message Bible or King James or uh, ESV, whatever. But basically, there's 59 statements that have the two words together in them, one another. So imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated one another. This is a, com a comment that Andy Stanley made that I, I think it's gold. Imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated one another. And you don't need me to tell you that by and large, we're not known for that. Jesus had a plan for us after he ascended back into heavens, after his death and resurrection. He would send his spirit as he promised at Pentecost, that's in Acts chapter 2, and the church as God intended it to be would be formed and born. Jesus left them some things to think about. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He repeated it about two chapters later in John 15. Love one another just as I have loved you. In Acts 2, we find the original job description for the church that Jesus will bless. It's in Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. It's probably worth a read. I read it quite a bit, but I don't think it can be read too much. 
Acts chapter 2 at verse 42. And this should, as I read this, this should be describing us. It should be describing every church that professes to follow Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure there is a church that gets this perfectly right all the time. But that's what it's here for, to remind us, this is what we're supposed to be doing. All the believers were devoted to themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved every day. Every day. Those who believed, in verse 43, were baptized, about 3,000 in all. So in other words, Pentecost had come, believers kind of now, the followers of Jesus had now received what Jesus had promised, and it's a new way of living, a new way of life, a new power source for us as we were to venture into this earth without Jesus' physical presence, and he put his spirit in us, and Pentecost was that great day when it happened. And then what was happening after that among followers of Jesus was astounding. Everybody took notice. It was shaping the community at that time. All because Jesus simply said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, the, now Paul in Galatians 5.14 really just drives it down the fairway here. And he says this. Galatians 5.14. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now grasp that for a minute. The entire law. Think 10 commandments. Think the laws that had been made that God had given. The entire law. You will fulfill it. Do you want to fulfill the law? Do you want to obey the law? Do you want to obey all the laws? Well, Paul says here, all of that is possible. All of that is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Or as Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. So why are we going to talk about the one another's? And why are we going to talk, start, why am I starting with the word love? Love one another. Well, first of all, this to me is like the last will and testament of Jesus, Acts, the book of Acts in particular, and the things he said to the disciples in Luke and John in the gospels. This is like, a, it's like his parting words. It's like the marching orders. It's like he's telling, letting them know, I'm going to go away. And here's what I want you to do. Here's, if you miss it, if, if you don't remember anything else I've said, it's almost like he's saying, if you don't remember anything else I've said, you gotta, you remember this. Don't forget this. Remember this. You love others as I've loved And there's so many things we would have predicted he might have said. If someone asked us, what do you think Jesus said on his last time to communicate with his followers? What might he have told them to do? And there's a long list of things we could come to say that would certainly define Jesus. It wouldn't be out of line or it wouldn't have surprised us had he said those things. But of all the things he could have said, 
you love others like I've loved you. And it sounds so simple, it seems impossible to accomplish. I mean, part of me, if you've grown up in church like I have, if you've been a follower of Christ a long, long time, you, you kind of look at that whole idea, love one another just as I love you. Is that all? And, and the longer we're believers, the longer we have a tendency to want to add more things to the list. And there are other things. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus is saying, if you'll do this, the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ will spread like a wildfire across the world. So we're talking about the one and others because Jesus started them. He gave them to us first. It's, it's like that, again, like the last will until somebody gives you a parting last word. And I've been with people I've loved in, in times where we knew death was imminent and they would say something to me, like a, just a little bit of wisdom and say, you know, don't forget this, Marty. And I remember those things. A second reason we're talking about one another is because, folks, we have trouble loving one another. <laughs> it's real simple. We have trouble loving others. We have great difficulty with the one another. We do not want others. We want independence. We want control. We want our preferences. We will live the one another life with those like us and who we like. But that is not what Jesus is talking about. It includes that, but that's not it. And another reason we're talking about the one another is I guess the third reason, because Jesus made clear the future of Christianity lies within the way we treat each other. And I know that sounds too simple to really get excited about. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. The future of Christianity lies within the way we treat each other, and this is why Christianity is in a steep decline right now, not just in our country, but across the world. And the church has had, the message has been, we're going to take back our country for God. That's great. Maybe we need to. But that's not what Jesus said is going to solve our problems. Jesus said, you love like I loved, and you will reach the world. People will come to find out how loved they can be. They'll find out, they'll taste the sweetness of forgiveness. They'll be more inclined to talk with one another and learn from one another instead of let's give me the five things you stand for. And if I don't agree with them, I have no reason to ever talk to you again. Because now the, the church, I, sometimes I feel, and this is a pet peeve of mine, and I know some of you are sick of me saying it. I'm just not sick of saying it yet. We're almost leading the way in the culture of what it looks like to be divided. We're just as divided as everybody else. And there's times you read, whatever you read, certain things on social media or in different news outlets or newspapers or whatever, sometimes you'll, you'll figure out that we're, we're kind of just taking a cue from the world and we're doing it almost better than they do it. Because if you don't see things my way doctrinally, then we're done. Rick Warren made a great statement in a paragraph that, that I've saved. And I, I thought I would uh, read that to you. He says this. He says, there are 2.6 billion Christians in the world. Now, they're not all our brand. They're not all our tribe. They're not all your tribe. But if you were to say to these 2.6 billion Christians, do you believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? They'd say yes. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. 
do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? And they would, most of these, at least we could assume, most of these 2.6 billion people who are professing to be Christians, you ask them these questions, the answer is going to be yes. You believe he rose again on Easter? Yes. You believe he's back to heaven? Yeah. Do you believe he gave a great commission? Yes. Do you believe he's coming back one day? Yes. Do you believe he sent the Holy Spirit to start the church? Yes. Well, then we're on the same page. We're on the same team. We may disagree on baptism or who's, able, who's worthy of the Lord's Supper or the role of women in the church. Good Lord, it's amazing how, how people get all wrapped up in that one. And it's always the men that are wrapped up in it. That's kind of interesting. I've never had a woman yet ask me, why do you believe God can use women in the ministry? Said enough on that one. I've lost some of you right now. I mean, I, I know there'll be some who just want to get up and go, and I'll kind of look this direction if you're sitting over there and you just are ready to leave because I said that. We are arguing in the churches over all these kinds of things, and we're doing it publicly, and the arguments are worthless. They're worthless. We believe we have so much in common. Do we have to agree over the doctrinal issues? And we all, we all base our belief on Scripture. We just see it a little differently than someone else might see it. So here's what Warren continues. And I'm blaming him for this. I don't have the courage to say this. He said this. <laughs> just kidding. I love this man. He says, it's Jesus' unanswered prayer in John 17. I pray, Jesus, I pray that they may be one. And Warren says, it's an unanswered prayer right now. I pray they may be one. Why? So that the world may know. See, the purpose of unity is not for structure. The purpose of unity is not for doctrine. The purpose of unity is that the world may know that the world will be one, O-N-E, and so that the world will be one, W-O-N. And that's what Jesus is expecting of us. That's what he clearly laid out in his parting words before he ascended back to the Father. John Ortberg made a great statement years ago in one of the commentary series that I have. John Ortberg has pointed out that among evangelicals who are fighting for truth, our opponents do not often qualify for love. An old saying suggests that the first casualty of war is truth, Ortberg writes, but this is not quite true. The first casualty of war is love. And he goes on to describe the Pharisees representing rigorously orthodox thinkers of his day who stood on the right side of all the tough issues, yet they had the most difficult time loving those whom Jesus loved, people whom Jesus was willing to make a part of his community. And sometimes it's true. I've been in church all my life, I've tasted a little bit of this, unfortunately. But the more you know, the less you love. I remind people all the time, when, when you'll let me, when, we've, when, when our, we're friendly enough to, that I could say something like this to someone, I say a lot, people have been in the church a long time, I'll say, how long have you been here? What, what brought you in the door 20 years ago? 10 years ago. They think back for a minute, they go, yeah. I said, now if we were doing what you're trying to get me to do, when you walked in here 20 years ago, would you have stayed? No, I don't think I would have. And he said, I get it. If we just could remember what it was like when we felt lonely, 
when we felt unworthy. When we felt the last place you want to go with anything, you've got a problem. If you want to share a problem, it's not going to be the church. Church is a great place for a PR campaign. You start a rumor in a church, it'll be all over the community by noon on Sunday. The command to love has its first application in the body of Christ. When a non-Christian steps foot inside a church, this should be their first observation. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nothing so astonishes a fractured world as a community in which radical faith, genuine love is shared among its people. And there are many places you can go and find community of shared interests. There are many places you can go to find people just like yourself who live for sports or music or gardening or politics. But it is the mandate of the church to become a community of love, a circle of Christ followers who invest in the one another's. And they invest in each other because Christ has invested in them. And it's built on the model of Christ who washed the feet of his followers, including Judas. And he knew exactly where that was headed. Jesus makes these staggering comments about how we are to love those we're not comfortable with, love those who are different than we are, love those who do things we don't approve of, love those who see things differently than we do. That is hard to do. And granted, we've tried, I, there's been plenty of times I've practiced that and the door was still closed. And that's gonna happen. Jesus takes it up a notch and makes it even more uncomfortable and challenging. Just when you thought this loving one another meant loving the people who love us, then love Jesus and see things our way. Well, that's easy. He gives us a little more clarity here. We get quite a bit more clarity in Matthew chapter five. For, lest you think for a minute that the, the, the commandment is that we love other brothers and sisters in Christ. Just love each other who are, if you're believers. And there's truth there. But then Jesus says this in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, the law of Moses, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'd say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy is what it said. It's what we think it says. No, no. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as a true child of the Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust too. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. There's a story in the New Testament and Luke, it's the story, if you've been around church very long, you've heard the story plenty of times. The Good Samaritan, a Jewish, let's say a Jewish a businessman is on a journey and he's robbed and beaten and they take all he has, leaves him for dead. The priest walks by, going the other direction and kind of walks over to have a look and then decides, a priest, I mean the guy that leading the church, <laughs> just keeps on walking. Why would Jesus create that kind of drama? But the priest just kept on walking. And then there was a temple assistant who came up and saw this man beaten and lying there. And, and the temple assistant just walked right on too. 
And boy, don't you know, if this is, as Jesus tells this story, what he's getting ready to say is going to get, they're going to be steamed on this. The people listen to him. But a despised Samaritan came down the path and he walked over to the Jewish man and he took care of him. And he helped him get into a room and he offered to pay for that room as long as the man needed it. Because you see, in those days, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't, they didn't go together. The Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. Why would Jesus tell us that story? So as we journey into this series, we, let's understand the idea first of loving one another because all the other one another's won't really, won't be understood. They won't be clear in how we live those out because it starts right here. Dallas Willard said, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength comes first. Without that, you can't understand the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. The local church is the source of God's presence in this world, and sometimes we miss that. We have great programs, we're reaching the world, but we sometimes overlook the, the fact that the fundamental way of reaching the world is just simply love our neighbor as ourselves in the power of God. I know it sounds simplistic. I know it sounds too sweetie pie, high in the sky, but I'm just telling you what Jesus said. But we must include the fact we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves and in the power of God, that will take care of everything. Four themes we're going to encounter in this series. First is love. Love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Second is unity. We're going to learn an awful lot about all of these things. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This comes first. Without that, you can't love your neighbors yourself. Dallas Willard not only says things like that, but he had backed them up when he was alive and how he would write, how he would talk, how he would speak, how he would encourage. So we come to these themes. Love is the theme. We're gonna find this throughout these one another's as we go through them. We're gonna, I think our unity is going to be increasing. We'll learn to love each other better. It's like a marriage. We're on a, we have relationships with each other in the church. We're not able to have relationships with everyone in the church. I remember I walked through the foyer not long ago, the, the atrium, and, and I made a comment to one of our elders. I said, you know, I, I walk through there on Sunday sometimes and I don't think I know anybody. And he looked at me and he goes, well, it doesn't seem to be bothering them. <laughs> we, we have gracious leaders. I mean, just gracious and kind. Our unity can increase. Accept one another then as Christ has accepted you. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Humility will increase. Now, you know what? We're not void of these things. I, I'm not, and you know, as I was putting all this together and as God was kind of helping me sort this out, I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir because let me tell you what, I think we do these things really well, but I think we can do them even better. And I think we can help those who are kind of new to all this to understand why these are so important to us. Humility, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And then kindness. 
kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. As God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Think of 1 Corinthians 13. This was, a, this was written for the church, not for weddings. It works at weddings, but it was written by Paul to the church. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We, we, you know, I don't know about you, but I've got to pray for that every day. Lord, help me remember this today. And then statement from Rick. Jesus' unanswered prayer, all right? The unanswered prayer in John 17. I pray they may be one, and that prayer has not yet been answered, Rick says. Rick Warren. I pray they may be one. Why? So that the world may know. The purpose of unity is not for structure. The purpose of unity is not for doctrine. The purpose of unity is that the world may know the world will be one, and so that world will be one. The world will be one, O-N-E, the world, and if we do that, the world will be one, W-O-N. In other words, the primary activity of the church is one anothering, one another. And so let's pray for our church. Let's pray for our friends. Let's pray for those who are part of a church, not part of a church, part of this one or not, a neighbor, somebody at work. Let's pray that as we go through this, that these words will speak to us, challenge us, make us uncomfortable, and that we might emerge as people. Other people will say, they're kind of crazy, but you got to love them. I'll take that. I want to invite our prayer teams, if they will come to the front of all of our rooms. We're available to pray with you for whatever is on your mind. Anything that you might be carrying that you don't want to carry alone, we'd love to pray for you. Be sure to use the prayer walls. You can leave a prayer request there, as well as prayer requests in all the kiosks as you uh, leave the building. So let us pray for you. So I'll close in prayer, and then afterwards, those of you who would like to be prayed for, prayed with about anything on your mind, you head toward the front of your room, and our prayer teams and pastors will be there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of this day. We thank you so much for the simplicity of the word. And yet its power is so overwhelming. Father, may you find in us a willingness to expand our hearts and minds. And Father, may, we, may you find in us a deeper desire to know all the teachings of Christ, to know who we're following and why, and to find out what it is he wants us to do, to please him, to bring, our, to bring joy to our own lives, and certainly bring joy to others. Father, be with us as we truly desire to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.